Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for your powerful words spoken to us in your word by the Apostle Paul. And we pray that we may be able to extract all of it, to apply it, to live it out. For these are words of eternal life and words that will keep us strong in every situation. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I believe that uh, one of the hardest things to do uh, is to keep going and going and going. To keep persevering year in, year out. And uh, I think that this is especially true when it comes to difficult situations, when things get difficult, uh, when things get harder. Uh, I think the, you know, one way we can sort of see it is like, it's like, you know, when you support a losing sporting team, you know, like when, when the team is winning all the time and uh, the success after success, it's very easy to keep supporting this team. But you know, when the team is losing year after year, you see how fewer and fewer people <clears throat> come to the stadium. Uh, there's inability to attract good players. And once, uh, you know, people used to wear the team uniform <clears throat> with pride as they're walking around now, no one wears it. And I think that uh, as we uh, look at this situation, we see that it's a very human response, it's a very human impulse to find it hard to keep going when times are tough. And I think that uh, what happens in, uh, I guess, when it comes to supporting your sporting team or, or trying to keep the course when times are tough, it is a human impulse which also affects us in our Christian life. Uh, because in the Christian life, it begins with a burst of enthusiasm. You know, you read the Bible. I remember for myself, you read the Bible, you come to Christ, and you come to church, and you're filled with so much excitement. You make new friends. There's a new purpose in your life. You engage in exciting ministries. But after a while, the Christian life gets tough. Uh, ministry is not as fruitful as you might expect. Uh, Christian friends uh, disappoint and let you down. Uh, fellowship and relationships in church might become messy and difficult. Uh, there might be opposition and persecution, which you do not expect. So what happens then? Well, I guess the great temptation, the, the human impulse, is to slow down, to ease up, and maybe even give up on the Christian life altogether. And it's a very human response. Now, I think that's a, somewhat the situation that the church in Philippi was facing as we come to the passage today. Now, we know, as uh, we've been looking at uh, over the last few weeks, that the church in Philippi was probably established between 49 to 52 AD. Okay, Paul the Apostle traveled from uh, Jerusalem, oh, not so far, sorry, from Jerusalem, and established a church in Philippi, and he was writing the, the letter to the Philippians about 10 years later. Next slide. Yeah, the next slide. Yeah, about 52 AD. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how uh, there were challenges uh, facing the church. There was strong opposition and persecution from outside the church. The Roman authorities were starting to make life very difficult for the church. There were tensions and relationship breakdowns in the church because people were looking out for themselves. They were selfish uh, rather than uh, loving other people, they were becoming self-centered and prideful in the church. And the third thing, as we saw last week, was that false teachers were starting to preach uh, uh, and drawing people away from the church. They were talking about a gospel plus. Uh, instead of just having Jesus, they were saying that you needed to be circumcised and perhaps even follow the Jewish laws. Now, taken in isolation, each one of these three, persecution from the outside, uh, fellowship breakdown within the church, uh, false teachers coming and drawing people away from the, the church. All, all of these things taken in isolation would be very challenging. 
But taken together, I think that they would be very, very discouraging and depressing for the Philippian Christian. And I think that uh, the tension here for the Philippian Christians would be, do I keep going with the Christian life or do I ease up? Uh, because it's a very human response when faced with all these difficult things to keep going on and to keep going on and to keep going on. So Paul here in verse uh, 12 and 13 uh, goes on in what he started last week to, to, to focus on addressing some of their concerns of how to go on when times are tough as a Christian. So he says, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining what toward, towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now if you look at this section, uh, Paul actually uh, parallels what he's going to say. He says some negative things about what's happening in his life and he says some positive things about what he wants to do. So we're going to start off with the negative. And the negative, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, all this, not that I've taken hold of it. Okay, you can see that there. Now what does it mean when he says that I haven't obtained all this and I haven't taken hold of it? Well, obviously he's referring to what he talked about last week in the section before. So if you look at the, the, the previous section, verse 7 to 10, he was saying that, uh, okay, next slide. Right, he already said last week that he had given up all these things he given up all his achievements, all his religious and material achievements in order to gain Jesus Christ for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now what Paul is saying here is that in his present possession, what he already has is through faith in Jesus Christ, he has righteousness. It is something that he already has. It cannot be taken away. Right. So visually, next slide. In Jesus Christ, because of his faith, he already is right with God. There is a righteousness of God, a present possession, a present tense. But there are still some things which are work in progress. Some things which continue to go on in his Christian life. And the next slide. And these things are the knowledge of Christ Jesus, the fellowship and the suffering, the power of his resurrection, and the resurrection from the dead. Now that's very true, isn't it? Because in a Christian life, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we gain immediately true faith, righteousness before God. When God looks at us, we are right. It is something in our present possession. But in our Christian life, we continue to progress in terms of knowing Jesus Christ. We have not completely known Jesus Christ yet. Our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our relationship of Jesus Christ continues to grow. We continue to have fellowship in His suffering. God's resu- the power of Jesus' resurrection continues to work in us until 
Jesus comes again and gives us the resurrection body. Now these are things which only happen in the future and we are to keep working at these things and that's what Paul is saying here. And in verse 12, he says something else, isn't it? If you notice there, he says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Right? It says, now, if you, if you look at the, the goal that he's talking about here, the goal here is the goal of perfection. Okay, if you look at the older translations of the NIV, it doesn't say goal here, it says, oh, I have already arrived at perfection. See, the goal of Paul's Christian life is to keep being more and more Christ-like, to keep perfecting and perfecting and perfecting his life so that he'll grow in holiness and godliness. But he knows in himself that he will never reach perfect godliness and holiness until Jesus comes again and takes him to heaven. Now I think that there is a difference between these two very important theological terms okay, that we need to clarify in our mind. Okay, So there's the idea of justification and there's the idea of sanctification. Okay, Now if you haven't heard those words before, let me explain them to you. Justification or to be justified is a legal term. It means that when we accept Jesus Christ, we are right before God in a legal way. God as judge looks at us and says we are justified before Him because our sin has been paid for by Jesus. Our legal standing before God is to be righteous before Him. But sanctification is the idea where day by day, year by year, we become more holy. And we become more God-like and Christ-like. We, we, we hate sin more, we die to sin more, and we live more righteously. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying not that I've attained perfect sanctification, not that in my living, in my thinking, in my actions, I've become perfect, but I keep pressing on, pressing on to become more and more perfect. Right? So therefore, there are many things in which Paul says that in his Christian life he hasn't yet fully realized. Perfection, sanctification, the knowledge of Jesus, the resurrection of the body. And therefore, in verse 12, in the positive things that he said, he says that, I must therefore press on to take hold of for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now this word here, if you look at your Bibles, press on, is the idea of uh, someone really straining himself or herself in a, an athletic pursuit. You know, it's like that person who's standing in the hot sun every day serving 1,000 serves, right? Just to get his serve right. Or, or the basketballer who like shoots 500 shots from the, fr the three-point line so that you know he can get a higher shooting percentage. Or the golfer who hits buckets and buckets of golf balls in order to perfect that shot. And that's the idea here of what Paul is saying. He says, no, I haven't, I haven't attained all these things yet, but I press on with that same sort of determination and discipline and effort. And it says here an interesting thing, right? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, what Paul is saying here is that pressing on in the Christian life is not an optional extra. It's not something where, you know, we can choose to take press on or we can choose not to press on. You know, I can choose to know Jesus better and to grow in sanctification or I can choose not to. Because he actually says here, 
that he is pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, part of it is my own decision, right? I, I, I choose to put my faith in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. It's my choice. But there is another side to the story because it's not just me putting faith in Jesus, but Jesus is the one who took hold of me. He chose me and took hold of me so that I may follow him. And what it's saying here, if you look very carefully at verse 12, is that when Jesus takes hold of Paul, takes hold of me and takes hold of you, he does so for a purpose. He chose us to believe in him, not so that we know we can have a tiger beer and relax on the, uh, uh, the couch, but rather that we may grow in sanctification, grow in our relationship with him, grow in the power of his resurrection, grow in suffering with him. And that's why in verse 13, right, in the second half, and the other positive thing that uh, Paul says, he says, look, by the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now this one thing I do, it's a very important phrase, right? The one thing I do. And what Paul is trying to say here is that the other things in his life are not very important. He doesn't consider them to be of the most important thing which he really wants to do. And this one thing that I do, I, I can I cannot do anything else, but this one thing I must do, I must forget what is behind and I must strain towards what is ahead. And again, it's a, it's a very uh, athletic uh, picture, right? It's, it's, it's the imagery of a, a runner running in a race. Because you know when the runner runs, uh, generally when you run, you don't run looking backwards, right? You, know, you don't look behind, you run forwards. And, and when you see the finishing line there, you strain and you use every sinew of effort in your body to push your body forward to the finishing line, right? I mean, you don't see sort of like, when, when people are the finishing line, they're sort of like, you know, casually going there. You know, they're like pressing forward really hard to get there. But what does he mean when he says, forgetting what is behind? He's basically saying that, look, it doesn't matter what has happened before. Right? It doesn't matter if you've been running really well. You know, maybe you're running really well, you're coming first. You still strain forward, right? It doesn't matter if you've been doing really badly. Maybe like, you know, you're, you, you have no chance of becoming first to third. You don't get gold, silver or bronze, but you're still straining forward, right? Because you want to, you want to get to the finishing line. And he compares that with the Christian life. He's saying in the Christian life, it doesn't matter how well you've been doing. Maybe you're like Paul, right? He's planted lots of churches. He's evangelized lots of people. And if anybody needed a break, it would be Paul. But Paul doesn't see it that way. He says, oh, I'm still straining forward. I don't care what's been happening. I'm straining forward to the finishing line. Maybe he's saying, forget what is behind. Forget all the failures in your life. Maybe you failed many times. Maybe there are many sins that you regret. Many disappointments in your Christian life. But you still strain forward to the finishing line. And what is at the finishing line? Well, in verse 14, he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
Now the prize here is not uh, coming first, right? You know, so you're trying to beat out everybody else to win the first, second, or third prize. The prize here is the prize awaiting each and every person. There's a prize there for Paul. There's a prize there for me. There's a prize there for you. There's a prize there awaiting everybody in Christ. And I think the prize here that he speaks about, obviously, is in heaven, in Christ. So if we look back to the earlier section, remember Paul said to, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Because when he goes to heaven, he will gain complete fellowship with Jesus. And in the, in the, in the verse that came in verse 11, he will attain the resurrection of the dead. So we are straining forward, heavenly, in a heavenward goal to gain our resurrection body and complete salvation and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, I think that these words that Paul speaks here apply to each and every one of us, whether we're young or old, man or woman, whether we're going well or we're struggling. See, if Christ has taken hold of you, then you must keep pressing on, straining forward and forgetting what is behind you know, in the Christian life, there is no retirement age. You know, it's not, not like you reach the equivalent of your spiritual 62 years or 65 years or however old it is, and then you say, well, you know, I can start relaxing now. You know, because we've got to keep straining forward, no matter where we are and how old we are in the Christian life. I remember uh, at least two pastors uh, of a much older Christian churches have told me about how in, in, in their churches, they were complaining about many people in their church who have no idea of pressing on and straining forward in their Christian life, taking hold of what Jesus took hold of them. So they were sharing, I mean, not, not one pastor, this is more than one pastor, right, where they would ask people to serve in church and say, oh, no, 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 I've done that before already in my past, you know, I, I don't want to serve anymore. Uh, you know, I've got no time for young people, I've got no time for children, I've got no time for Bible study and all that. And then they asked them to go to Bible study. Oh, no, no, I, I've, I know enough of the Bible already. That's why I read more, more than enough of the Bible when I was young, right? Uh, ask them to go to church camp. Oh, no, church camp is only for new people. Uh, you encourage them to uh, read the Bible regularly or pray consistently. And again, these pastors are saying that these people don't want to do that. And I wonder whether sometimes we can have that temptation. We sort of feel that, you know, we've been Christians for so long that we don't want to press on and grow in Christ and grow in our fellowship with Christ and to grow in terms of our sanctification. And it doesn't have to be an old person, you know. Sometimes we read this, you think, oh, this is only for old people, right? But I've seen this happen with people who come out of university. People come out of university and I say, oh, do you want to, you know, come and do this? And say, oh, I did all that university already. I served in, in fellowship in university. I don't need to do all these things anymore. Or maybe we can make excuses for ourselves. Oh, you know, now that I'm married or now that I have kids, I don't need to press on and strain forward in my Christian life. But there's no such thing, you see, because there's no such thing as I've done enough already in the Christian vocabulary. Can you know Jesus enough? Can you be godly enough? Can you uh, be resurrected enough? All these things only happen when we reach the finishing line in heaven. Then we can rest for eternity, right? Okay. But Paul goes on to say in verse 15, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if on some point you think differently, then that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now here we see that uh, Paul changes the perspective from talking about himself to talking about us, right? He says, all of us here who are mature, spiritually mature, those who have wisdom will know the right thing to do. Well, they would, they, all of us who are mature, mature should take the same view that I take. But if some of you think differently, then, then God will make that clear to you too. Now what it means is that, obviously, in the Philippian church where he was writing to, there must be some people who he knew would not share his point of view. Uh, there, there were probably some people in the church who instead of straining forward and running and straining towards the finish line, they were being complacent. Maybe they were going backwards, maybe they were lying on the, on, the, on the racing track, right? Having a nap, relaxing. And he's saying, look, you must keep straining forward. And if you don't see this, God will reveal it to you that you need to keep straining forward. But whatever you do, right? Whatever you do, let us live up to what we have already attained. Now this idea of living up to what you have already attained is the idea of living up to a certain standard, right? So what have they already attained? Well, they've already attained the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've already attained Jesus Christ. They've already attained salvation. So let's live up to what we already have. Let's live up to the gospel. Let's live up to Jesus. Let's live up to salvation. Now this idea is exactly the same as the idea much earlier on in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul said, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now these two verbs, live up to and conduct yourselves, are exactly uh, the same sorts of words. right? They're both imperative, both instructions, both commands, and both of them speak of an obligation or a duty or responsibility to live with the right conduct according to something. Right? So the first one talks about, you know, conduct yourselves like a citizen, right? According to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it says, live, live up to what you've already attained in Christ. So therefore what Paul is saying here is that they must, they must at least live up to what they've already attained. Right? It's not an option to to go be below the obligation or the conduct or duty or responsibility demanded by Jesus of how you should live. This is not something which you can argue with God or to make excuses. This is something that you must do. Then in verse 17 onwards, we see why it is that Paul is so fervent and strong and so powerful in his demands that they must live up to what they've already attained. He says, Join together in following my example, Jesus, uh, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, why did Paul speak so strongly of following my example? Why did he say live up to the standard of what you've attained? Why does he keep pushing this point over and over again? It is because it says here that there were those who were not living 
the right way. They weren't straining, but rather they were living as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, who are these people? Who are these people who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? Now, in chapter 1, uh, Paul speaks of one group of people, remember, who were preaching the gospel, but they were preaching out of wrong motives, but at least people were being saved. And Paul said, well, you know, even though they preach out of ill will, I rejoice that the gospel is going out. Okay, So there's different people because he was rejoicing over them. In chapter 3, uh, Paul strongly condemned these false teachers who had a gospel plus, right? gospel plus circumcision, gospel plus a law. And he condemned these false teachers. He was angry and fuming mad at these people. Remember, he called them dogs. Okay, So it's not these people, okay? the dogs. Because here it seems Paul was genuinely really sad for these people. He says, I tell you again with tears, with grief, with intense feeling, right? That many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So it seems as if, reading between the lines, that the many people here who are living as enemies of the cross, they brought Paul intense grief and tears because maybe, and most probably, they were once Christian. They were the people who Paul evangelized. They were maybe people who were attending his church. Maybe he was familiar with them. Maybe he had dinner with them. Maybe he knew their families. Maybe he watched Interstellar with them. Who knows, right? But he, he, he knew them. And these people had gone and now were enemies of the cross. right? And they were enemies of the cross because of their lifestyles, isn't it? So if you look up here on the slide, next slide, there were three things which he uses to describe these people who he felt so sad about, the many who had lived, who are now living as enemies of the cross. He says their God is their stomach. Now, it doesn't mean that literally, you know, they idolize their takoitiao or chili crab, but, but it means that their God is their belly. Instead of Jesus being their God and serving God, they serve their, their human appetites. They serve their fleshly appetites. Right? So it's not just food, but everything else that the human appetite right, uh, encompasses. Right? They, their God was to serve what the human flesh enjoyed. So instead of pressing on and straining on, which has the uh, picture of discipline, right, uh, self-control, of denial. You know, when you're training as an athlete, you deny yourself, right? I mean, you don't, you know, you don't, uh, drink, like, lots of sugar drinks or eat lots of garbage. You, 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 you train as an athlete. You're straining, you're showing self-discipline. Well, instead of showing self-discipline and strain and pressing on towards the goal, these people were, were, were actually feeding their own sinful desires. They were indulging themselves. They were not living up and to what they had already attained in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that their glory is their shame. So the things that they were really proud about, the things that they, they boasted about, the things that brought them honor, were the things of this world. That in the world to come would only bring shame. Maybe the material status, achievements, things that they were really proud about had no place in the new heavenly kingdom. And the third thing was, their mind is set on earthly things. See, their orientation in life, their focus, their dreams, their hopes, their minds 
were all about earthly things, the things of this earth. Instead of focusing on straining forward towards heaven and the heavenly prize, they were focused on the things here. Well, what a difference it is, isn't it? Because Paul was saying, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But these people who are enemies of the cross, their, 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 their focus was not heavenward in Christ Jesus, but, but here on earth. That was what their mind, their orientation, their life was all about. And therefore, because of the, all these things, Paul said that because of these lifestyle decisions, that they actually were not united in Christ, but they were instead enemies of the cross of Christ. And sadly, in verse 19, their destiny is destruction. No wonder Paul felt so sad, so grieved, so hurt inside, because here were people who instead of being resurrected and heavenly minded and going to be saved, they were actually now destined for destruction, enemies of the cross. Now, if you look forward to the next section, he says that actually this is not the way it should be, isn't it? He says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not on this, on this world. So if our citizenship is in heaven, in verse 20, where we must eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. See, he's saying, look, it cannot be this way. It cannot be that our focus is here on this earth. It cannot be that our orientation is just what our human fleshly desires are. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we belong. And what do we look forward to? We look forward to Jesus coming and transforming our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious resurrection body, which will live forever. Now, as we look at this passage, it's almost a bit like a checklist. You can almost do a checklist for yourself, right? You just go through the Bible and you checklist and you ask yourself, which side are you on? In your life, can you tick the box which says, yes, I'm pressing on in the Christian life? Am I taking hold of that which Christ took hold of me? Can I check that box? Can I say I'm forgetting what is behind and straining forward towards what is ahead? Can I take that box? Can I take that box and say, I'm pressing on towards the prize that's waiting for me in heaven in Christ Jesus? Can I take the box and say, I'm living up to what I've already attained? Is my citizenship in heaven? Am I eagerly awaiting Jesus? my Saviour, and looking forward to the glorious heavenly body. Well, if so, then you're, 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 you're actually continuing in the Christian life. You're actually moving forward in your Christian life. You are actually have a, a destiny which is in heaven. But the danger for us is sometimes we, we actually find we are on the other side of the box, right? the other side of the column, where we say, 
We have stopped pressing on in the Christian life. We are now actually going backwards in the Christian life. We are lying on the, on the racing track, right? Not moving forward. We are indulging the sinful nature. We, you know, our God is our stomach. Uh, maybe we're taking pride in the wrong things. Maybe our mind is focused on earthly things. And we have now become enemies of the cross of Christ. And our destiny is destruction. Now, I think we have to learn from what Paul says here. Right? Because he said it over and over again, that many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And I think what's true in Paul's day is also true in our day. It does happen that many people today live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There was an old pastor who has since retired who told me with great sadness of many Christians he's known over the years. And he said some of these people are church leaders, church elders. And he said, you know, some people as they get older, they, they become even better and better and better in their Christian life. Their, 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 their godliness shines through more and more and more. They're more loving, they're more godly, they serve more, they're more giving. Their focus becomes more heavenly minded. But unfortunately, there are some people that as they get older, this is what the old, this old pastor said, they actually let themselves go. You know, you know, when you get, when you get older, right? Instead of pressing on, you just sort of let it go and you let yourself go and, and, they, and, and they, this is what this pastor said, they indulge themselves basically. They give themselves a free pass to their fleshly nature. And, uh, he feared for many of his Church, old church people that he knew, that they become less godly, less straining towards perfection. They were going backwards and they were actually becoming enemies of the cross. See, I think that we must never ever go backwards in the Christian life. We must always go forward in the Christian life. And I, f- I see, even for myself, that people make excuses. It's very human, right? I told you before in the introduction, it's a very human response that when times get tough, the temptation is to give up or to ease up. And I think that it's very significant that as we come to this passage, that some of the, the reasons that people give are exactly the reasons that Paul was talking against. So I, I've come and met people and they say, oh, you know, uh, they're not really growing or going forward in the Christian life. And part of the reason is because they have bad fellowship at church. Maybe they have conflict with other people at church. Maybe they have bad experiences at church. Maybe they have, uh, you know, been hurt by other Christians at church. And therefore, they don't want to press on in the Christian life. But that was what was happening in the Philippian church, isn't it? But the Bible says, even so, Paul says very clearly here, even as in the Philippian church, they were, they had fellowship problems, to press on, strain forward, forget what is behind. It is not an acceptable excuse. Right? You cannot go up to heaven one day and say, oh, you know, I, ha- I had a disagreement so so in church, so I decided not to press on as a Christian. Some other people, they struggle because there's hardship or persecution from outside, and so they don't press on in the Christian life. They don't strain forward. But again, isn't that what, what they were facing in the Philippian church? They were facing pressure and imprisonment. They... Paul doesn't say, well, that's okay then, don't press on, don't strain forward. He says, no, press on and strain forward. 
maybe you may be disappointed and discouraged because you see there's false teachers and false teaching out there and you see maybe your friends or people who were close to you before who follow these false teachers and false teaching and uh, as a result these people have uh, followed the wrong gospel and you're stumbled. But again, the Bible doesn't give us an excuse. The Bible says, continue to strain forward, continue to press on in your Christian life. So as we look at this passage, I think it's, it's a really powerful warning to us and it speaks so clearly to the human condition. There is a great temptation, it doesn't matter whether you're a young Christian or old Christian, whether, you know, you, you come from a Christian family or whether you come from a non-Christian family, it doesn't matter. Just keep pressing on, straining forward in your Christian life. Live up to what you've already attained. Keep your focus on heaven, on the resurrection body, on Jesus coming back again. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that there's a great temptation in the human nature to ease up take things easy, and uh, this happens as well in our walk in Christ. But help us to see there is great danger in doing so. For when we stop straining forward, when we stop seeking to be sanctified, to be perfected, when we stop seeking fellowship in suffering for Christ, when we stop seeking knowing Christ, when we stop looking forward to the resurrection body, when we forget that our destination is in heaven, it is so easy to fall back and to make our stomach, our gods, to be earthly minded and to forget who you really are. Help us to see that our citizenship is in heaven. For those of us here today who may find things hard, to, who may be struggling, help us to keep pressing on, to keep straining forward to forget what is behind, to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of us, to live up to what we've already attained, to reach on uh, and go on to the heavenly goal and the prize that is waiting for us there. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.